Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Hands up if you've ever made a New Year's resolution. Cool. Hands up if you have made a New Year's resolution but didn't write it down but you've thought about it in general. Yeah, okay, cool. So I was just hoping that most people have in some ways done that. Um, Most people do in some way. Like I think everyone when they come into a new year, they think about what's this year going to be about for me? What's ahead? Um, Maybe you, you, you might pray and say like, God, what have you got for me this year? But I think everyone when they come into a new thing, a new season, a new time, you're already starting to get ahead and you're starting to plan and you're starting to think, you know, what's this, what's this going to be about for me? And, um, you know, I think often in the new year, and especially if you've just had a bit of a holiday, we can be very hopeful and very, shall I say, maybe a little unrealistic about the things that we think we're going to achieve th- this year in 2023. And um, I was doing a little bit of research and generally... Uh, the areas that people make New Year's resolutions about or, or any kind of resolution is around your physical health. So people might be like, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to uh, quit smoking. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to eat better, like those sorts of things. Um, sometimes people might make a resolution around self-improvement. So I'm going to read more books. I'm going to uh, do a course. I'm going to get my work-life balance in order. I'm going to spend more time with, with friends, like that kind of thing. And the other one is uh, around psychological health. So, you know, I'm going to get my stress levels sorted. I'm going to get mentally healthy. I'm going to get therapy. I'm going to, um, you know, deal with maybe some things that are going on mentally. But that's kind of the things generally that people make resolutions about. Um, Different generations as well think about different things. So baby boomers in the room. um, Generally speaking, most baby boomers... Uh, make resolutions about losing weight, um, but never or hardly any about saving money. Probably because houses cost like 80 bucks in the 70s or whatever. So um, (laughs) you guys are like, oh, I'm sweet. Um, Millennials, though, that's like my generation, so like in your 30s, um, we are the most confident about keeping the resolutions that we make, and we are the least likely to succeed. So I don't really know what that's about, but I guess it's telling. And then Gen Z, so if you're 26 or younger, um, the big thing that that age group is all about is finding the one, finding love. Um, So yeah, people people want different things. And so maybe this year you're coming in and you're thinking, 2023 is the year that I finally get this addiction under control. Maybe I finally stop drinking too much, or I finally stop using pornography, or I finally stop spending half of my day on my phone or playing video games or whatever it is. Maybe some people, you've come into this year and you're like, this is the year that I get into shape. This is the year I'm going to run a marathon, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Some of you maybe 
are much more spiritual and you're, you're thinking, you know, this is the year that I, that I start a Bible plan that, and I finish it. Or this is the year where, you know, I'm gonna pray every day or I'm gonna meet with friends and we're gonna read the word, we're gonna worship, we're gonna do all those, those sorts of things. But the chances are that all of us in some way have some kind of resolution or some kind of expectation about what the year ahead is gonna look like. But chances are, if it's our resolution that we've come up with, we're probably not gonna succeed. So I looked at a couple of studies and apparently, this was a little bit scary, but apparently only about 5% of people will actually finish, actually do everything that they set out to do and everything they say they're gonna do. So you might be in that 5% and you can kind of, I guess, switch off for most of what I'm gonna talk about today and that's awesome for you. But 95% of people set out to do things that they can't finish. And I think there's lots of reasons for that. I think, um, you know, the problem I have, and, and this might be you as well, but no matter what my intentions are, no matter what my hopes are, no matter what I think I'm capable of, the reality is I'm often not quite what I aspire to be. I'm often not quite maybe the person I would like to think that I am. And the problem that we have is this, that while the season might change, while the year might change, while the number after the two changes, we stay the same. We're still us. And unless Jesus is doing something in us, and unless we're submitting to him in everything that we do, ultimately, it's not gonna work out. So today we're gonna have a look at the disciple Peter. We're gonna look at some of the claims he makes. We're gonna look at what happens for him, in him, through him, from just before the crucifixion all the way through to Pentecost. And kind of as we go, we're gonna pull some things out of that story that I think are gonna be really relevant for all of us today. So um, if you've got your Bibles, but it will be on the screen as well, we're gonna jump straight in. So. In, uh, in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 14, and um, all the, all the uh, verses and things today are gonna be in the ESV as well, so if you're on your phone, you can make sure you're on the, the same version as me, and that'll work well. All right, so Mark 14, uh, 26 uh, through to 31, it says, when they, meaning the disciples and Jesus, had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So we've got Peter. So they're in worship, they've sung together, they've had the first communion and Jesus is telling them, I'm going to the cross. The shepherd being Jesus is gonna be struck, he's gonna die, but go to Galilee, I'll meet you there. So he tells them, he gives them like a little spoiler, like he tells them what's gonna happen. Um, but he says, you know, you're all gonna 
scatter. You're going to fall away. And Peter's like, no, I will not. And Jesus kind of was like, kind of pushes him on it a bit and says like, you know, like you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, I'll, I'll go with you. Even if I die, I'm going to go with you. Peter, I think, is one of those people who acts first or speaks first and thinks second. So he kind of like, he starts, he gets moving, he starts opening his mouth and he doesn't maybe think through the consequences. And people like that can be really, really helpful because they work on instinct and they, they can get a lot done and they, they know what to do in certain situations, but they can also be really unhelpful. Um, and sometimes at home, I'm a bit of a, a Peter we have this kind of recurring theme where Jasmine might uh, pr- start to present or, or talk about maybe an idea for something that, that she wants to talk about or that needs to be done around the home. So she might say, oh, like, you know, the windows, Luke. And I'll be like, oh, right, I won't even let her finish her sentence and I'll jump up and I'll be like, all right, I'll go get a bucket, I'll go do this, I'll clean the windows, blah, 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 blah. And she'll be like, just calm down. Like, I just want you to open the window. <laughs> and it, it's like, so you sort of, you get, you know, three or four steps ahead um, before you've even really stopped to think about what's being presented. I don't know if any of you relate to that, but it's never helpful. Um, but Peter, in this kind of scenario, I think his perception was wrong. I think he had a, a perception of himself that was different to who he really was. And he certainly had a higher opinion of himself maybe than the other disciples. He says, you know, even if they all fall away, So yeah, yeah, sure, like the others will go, but I won't. And perception's this interesting thing. Like I think being self-aware is kind of this really highly valued trait, especially like in the workforce and in in social um, situations. And there's heaps and heaps of different ways that you can become self-aware, that you can, you know, know yourself. Um, you can do like personality tests, you could do like a, a Myers-Briggs or an Enneagram, or you could do a what kind of animal am I, or um, you know, a strengths-based test. Like there's all these different tests and tools and things that you can do. Um, and, but the problem with all of them, all of those is as well, like it relies on us actually having an accurate picture of ourselves to answer questions accurately and objectively, but we're not objective, we're, we're subjective, so we just kind of get what we want from those kind of quizzes a lot of the time anyway, I think. But I love them. I'm not dissing them. I actually really enjoy doing them. I find them very fun. I did a few this week. Um, so I found out that if I'm a Disney princess, I am, I'm Belle. And I had to look up, I was like, who's Belle? It's Beauty, like Beauty and the Beast. So I don't know what that's about. Um, If I'm a member of the Fellowship of the Ring, I'm Aragorn, which I was very pleased about. Um, And the type of pizza I am is a cheesy garlic. (laughs) I don't know what that means for me, but I guess, you know, I'm really self-aware now. But the point is, like, there's this never-ending stream of information that that we can engage with to, you know, find out who we are. But I think, more than ever... And certainly what I've seen in the last five years in high schools is that we have less of an idea of who we are than ever before. And I think the world doesn't know who it is, but I also think that sometimes that creeps into the church and the church loses a sense of who it is and what its purpose is and what it's actually here for. Because the world 
is in desperate need. But if the church is confused about who it is, then it looks inward to try and work out what are we doing here? And if the church is looking inward, it's not looking outward. And if it's not looking outward, then we're not actually doing the thing that Christ put the church in place for. In Matthew 9, um, Jesus, is, he looks at the, at the crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And that's still true, I think, to a point today, where the harvest is plentiful. And my experience of uh, especially being, you know, in, a, in, in public high school with, 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 in a secular environment, even talking to like kids, but even talking to the adults, is that people are open. People want hope. People are desperate to feel purpose. And it's, I think sometimes it's us that makes it more complicated or puts the barriers up. If we don't know who we are, we, we don't follow the pattern of Christ. We stop caring, we start to lack compassion because it's all about us. It becomes selfish, not selfless. And I think one of the, this kind of idea, it's just like kind of a humanism kind of idea that, that's it's very in the world, but it's also coming into the church is this idea that, you know, you just need to follow your heart. You know, follow your heart. That'll, that'll reveal to you what you need as if your heart can somehow be the moral compass and give you what, you know, it's the ultimate sense of good as if we know what's best for us. That's a really unbiblical idea. In Jeremiah 17, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? And David cries out in Psalm 51, he says, create me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. So there's this recognition in these Old Testament writers that the heart is not actually a good uh, foundation. It's not a good starting point if you want to find purpose and meaning and life. It's a bad one, in fact. But so this is the key. It's the key to start kind of understanding who you are is a new heart, a newness of mind, a newness of spirit that comes from knowing Christ through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And our perception of ourselves when we know Christ should start to become consistent. It shouldn't be overly high, and we shouldn't think of ourselves better than others, but it also shouldn't be overly low. It should start to kind of balance out, and it kind of allows us to sit in the wrestle that on the one hand, yes, I'm faulty, I'm flawed, I'm sinful, but on the other hand, I'm redeemed, I'm restored, I'm made whole, I'm set apart, I'm righteous. And when we can sort of start to sit in that tension and start to kind of know that, you know, I'm a bit this and I'm a bit that, that's when I think we can start to get a better picture of who we really are. Um, so the second thing that kind of, I wanna like sort of focus on here is this idea of like promise and promising. So Peter says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So he makes this promise. Um, you probably don't have to put your hand up, but have you ever committed to something and not done it? Have you ever clicked going 
on a Facebook event and then not gone to your grandma's birthday? Some of you have. Or maybe you've skipped a, you know, an important engagement because you, you know, your dog's sick or something. Um, these things happen. But uh, all of us make commitments, whether like big or small, that we don't live up to. Um, so Jesus says to Peter and the disciples, he's gonna die, he's gonna be raised up, and Peter's response is, you know, I'm not gonna fall away, I'll even follow you to death. So he promises much, but ultimately, he delivers very little. You know, one of the things that I always do is I say, um, you know, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. So at the moment, for example, at home, we have a paddling pool um, for our dog, which is, I don't know. But anyway, so we have, a, we have this paddling pool for the dog, but it's filthy, and of course, the dog needs a clean paddling pool. Um, and I've been saying I'm gonna clean the paddling pool tomorrow for two weeks, at least. Still haven't done it. I won't say I'm gonna do it tomorrow, but that is the current plan. <laughs> but I kind of, I think I have this idea of myself that, you know, I'm not motivated now, but I'll be motivated later. Or I, I can't, I don't feel like doing it now, but I'll feel like doing it later. But inevitably, I just, I don't. Um, and it's probably because, again, it's like that perception thing. We sometimes think that we're more capable or we're more likely to stick to our word than we actually are. So Peter's false perception, I think, I think in the garden, he, didn't, he still didn't really know who he was. And he promises Jesus, you know, I'm not gonna deny you, but he does. So let's look at Luke chapter 22, um, verses uh, 54 onwards. So then uh, they, they being the, the guards and the priests, seized Jesus and led him, led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man was also with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Oh. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Oh, man. What a scene. It kind of reminds me, like, have you ever been in one of those situations where things just start to spiral out of control and you can't, like, you can't stop it, you can't bring it back. Like your car's racing down a hill with the handbrake off and the keys are already in the car and you, like, you just you can't get it and you can't stop it. And it's just like this runaway kind of vehicle or maybe you've said something uh, that you know you shouldn't have said to someone and you can see kind of their, their face fall, but you know, oh, I've said, I can't take that back now. Like that's, that's done, the damage is there. I think Peter would have felt absolutely rotten in that moment. 
because he knows. He knows what he's done. He knows that he promised that he would stick with Jesus. He said he wouldn't deny him, and then he does. And not only he does it, but Jesus just looks at him when it happens too. Like, oh, it's brutal. So we know the story. We know that Jesus goes to the cross, and we know that he's resurrected three days later. And, and after his resurrection, he goes to the disciples, and the disciples are at Galilee. And whether they've remembered that Jesus said, go and wait for, us, wait for me at Galilee, or whether they just went back there because they're fishermen and that's where they came from, I'm not really sure. But, but Jesus goes and he shows himself to them. And the disciples are out on the boat. Peter sees Jesus. And of course, being Peter, he strips off all his clothes and he jumps in the water and he's swimming back to shore. And they all come together and they have breakfast. And then there's this kind of moment. And I think Peter would have known um, this conversation was gonna happen. It's kind of inevitable. It's like, you know, they're gonna have a talk because Peter's stuffed up, but he knows that Jesus is not someone who uh, is afraid to have these, these conversations and deal with things. And so in John 21, 15 to 17, it says, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Did you notice here that Jesus calls him Simon, not Peter. And previously, Jesus had, like, so Peter's name was Simon, and Jesus changed it to Peter. Uh, and Peter means rock. Um, and because Peter confessed that Jesus was Lord, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, and, and he said, all right, Simon, you're gonna be called Peter, and on this rock, in this confession of faith, I'm gonna build my church. Um, but here he doesn't call him Peter, even though he's already named him that. So that's really kind of interesting. So Simon means to hear and to listen. And Peter means rock or, or stone. And a rock, you know what a rock is. It's just like, a rock is just the raw rock. But a stone was the rock that they'd shaped, that they'd crafted, that they'd made fit for purpose for a building, to put in. So it's like it's got a purpose. Um, and so Jesus asked Peter three times whether he loves him. So there's three confessions of love for three denials. The first time he asked him, Simon, do you love me more than these? And he's reminding Peter that Peter said, even if everyone else falls away, I won't. So he's saying, look at the other disciples, Peter. Remember how you said that you were gonna do stuff that they couldn't do? Do you, do you love me more than they do? And Peter just says, you know, I love you. But he doesn't, doesn't make it about the others this time. And in our, uh, in the modern, in English, we miss a bit of what's going on. But in, in the Greek, there's these different words for love. And, and there's a few different words that get used here, some by Peter and some by Jesus. So it's important we draw that out because then we can really see what Jesus is doing here. Oh, and it's good. So when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He uses this word agape, which means like unconditional love. So it's, when the Bible talks about agape, it's the love that God has for his for people, 
It's unconditional, no strings attached. I'm giving you everything I've got. And Peter responds with this word for love, which is phileo, which means it's like the love, it's like friendship. So if we were to like reread this in that light, you would read it like this. Simon, do you love me unconditionally more than everyone else? Yes, Jesus, I love you as a friend. And then again, Jesus, do you love me with everything you are, with everything you've got, completely selflessly? Jesus, I love you as a friend. But then the third time, Jesus uses Simon's language and says, Simon, are you my friend? And that's why he's grieved, because he sees that Jesus has changed the language there. But he says, yes, Lord, you know everything. You know I'm your friend. Peter has been humbled. He realizes that he isn't who he thought he was. He isn't the guy that can follow Jesus to death. He isn't the guy that can you know, follow Jesus with, with all his heart and all his love and everything like that. He does become that. But, but in this moment, he sort of goes, well, Jesus, I can give you friendship. You know, you know everything. You know that that's how I feel. And Jesus meets him there. So maybe this morning you're like, well, Jesus might love me unconditionally, but I don't feel that way. Jesus meets you there. So Peter offers his empty hands. He says, you know, I've, I don't actually have anything. You know, I promised a lot, but I've got nothing. And Jesus said, okay, that, I can work with that. And then Jesus reinstates Peter as a shepherd of the flock. He says, feed my lambs, so go and be who you were supposed to be. Now you can, because you've humbled yourself. And there are, I think, very real times where we need to stop. We need to take stock of ourselves and who we are, and we need to say, Jesus, is there anything going on that I need to be aware of that I need to deal with? Do I need to repent? Do I need to change my mind? Do I need to realign my heart to who you say I am? And you might feel like you've got a lot to offer God or you might feel like you've got nothing to offer God, but Jesus will meet you in that and where you're at. Peter's promises fail, our promises fail, but God's promises are forever. God's promises were made complete by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He won't fail, he won't leave you, he is patient, he is steadfast, he is loving. We are not those things, but he is. So Peter's been humbled, he's realized he's not all that, and he has not been able to do what he hoped he could, but there's now a moment coming. So at Pentecost, so Jesus, uh, one of the last things he says at the start of the book of Acts to his disciples is, um, you've heard from me that John was baptized, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He tells them to not depart, to go and wait in Jerusalem. Wait, the Holy Spirit's coming. And it's interesting, I think, that Peter doesn't rush off from the beach like the moment that Jesus restores him. The old Peter would have. He would have rushed off to the nearest town saying, come, 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 see Jesus. Like, it's all happening. Like, you need to know this. But he doesn't. He waits. He stops and he listens. 
in Acts chapter two from the start. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and when and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Jumping ahead to verse 22. Peter's, Peter jumps up and he starts to preach. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jumping ahead to 32, it says, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Something incredible has happened here in Peter. Because not long before, 40 days or so before this time, in Jerusalem, he denied Jesus. I don't know him. And here he is standing up declaring who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah, that he's Lord, that he's King. So something incredible has happened in that, that time of, of humility before God, but then also empowering by the Holy Spirit to do what he was made to do. So the place of his denial became a place of declaration. And maybe there's places in your lives, maybe private places, or maybe public places where you've been denying Jesus. Where you've been saying, Jesus, like, yep, I'm happy with the Sunday and the small group and all that stuff, but workplace, that's kinda, it's kinda my thing, that's not really for you, God. Or maybe you're saying, yep, Jesus, I love you and I wanna worship you, but stay out of my sex life. Or maybe you're saying, yep, God, I love you and I would read the Bible, but I need to play video games for eight hours instead. Inevitably, for all of us, there's gonna be places in our lives where we deny Christ. And they might be big and they might be public or they might be small and they might be private, but I guess my challenge or exhortation to you today is to make those places of denial places of declaration. As you come into the new year, look at those places in your life where you know, because you know, we've all got them, where you know, look, God, I'm kind of just gonna put you aside for that spot, make that a place of declaration. Because it's amazing what happens, because he gets up and he preaches, and 3,000 Jews receive Jesus as Lord and join their number. And we've got to remember that we are living in that time. We are living in this time of a new covenant, of an empowering Holy Spirit that lives within us. We're not living in the flesh. We're not living under law, but we're living 
in spirit. And while we wrestle sometimes between the two, we have full access to God by the Holy Spirit. And that spirit brings life and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control so that we can do the things that Jesus has for us to do. So in the same way Jesus gave to Simon what he needed to be Peter, I believe that Jesus, the King of heaven today, wants to give you what you need for 2023. So what's this all kind of mean for us today? Well, I think like Peter, sometimes we need a bit of a reality check and we need to just be aware of of who we are. That without Jesus, we're nothing. But with Jesus, with the empowering Holy Spirit, we can be what he has for us to be. So the disciples waited on the Holy Spirit, but then when the Holy Spirit came, they acted with purpose, with urgency. So the gospel goes out, doesn't go out in panic or anxiousness, but it does go out with pace. It goes out with urgency. And when the Holy Spirit comes and he empowers us, he empowers us not to sit and do nothing, but he empowers us to move. So what Peter needed then was humility, but then the boldness to preach and declare that Jesus is Lord. And for you, you might need all kinds of different things for this year. And there's so many people in the room, so there's gonna be so many different things that maybe you're hoping that God will speak into. But um, if I can get the keys up, this, this morning, I just wanna give you some time, five, 10 minutes or so, just to sit and to wait and to ask God that he would show you by the Holy Spirit, like this is what this year is about for you. So you might have already done that, and great, you can do it again, and God will confirm it. But maybe you've spent the first two weeks of of January this year, maybe you're on holiday and your rhythm's all out of whack and you're just like, oh, we'll just see what happens. Maybe you're expecting this year to be the same as last year. Maybe last year was awful and you're just kind of going, oh, not again, will life ever change? Maybe you're walking into new things, a new job, a new season, new relationships. Let's just take a moment to stop and say, God, what do you want for me in this? But I fully believe that when God's people wait on Him, that He meets us there. And I fully believe that when God's people are gathered to worship, when they've done something countercultural and got themselves to church, that he wants to move in our midst. God, like Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected so that this relationship thing with us and God can work. So I believe he does meet us and he does speak to us. And so this morning, just take that time and just wait on God in whatever posture you need to do that in. preparing to preach to this congregation this morning I just had this sense that there are a lot of people 
in this particular room that are very fearful, that fear's got a grip, that perhaps where once you were confident and bold, you're now not. I just had this sense that if you're in that place of fear, and it could be around all kinds of different things, I don't know. But God just wants to remind you that He's He's there, He's in it, He's close, He promises, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age, that I'll never leave you, I won't forsake you, so I won't turn my back on you. And His face is towards us. So if you're fearful about 2023, and you're fearful about the new year. Just God loves you. He's with you in it. Life's not necessarily going to be good, but God is good. And God is close. So yeah, let's just take some time and, and hear from God and then the worship team will lead us. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.